0: Hello listeners and welcome to State of the Union, your weekly breakdown of all things Scottish independence. I am your hostess with the most Stephen Payton. The day is Friday, the 15th of October, 2021. Let's get into it. So let's open this week with a question. In fact, it was a question that I found particularly useful to ask when I was out campaigning in 2014 for independence. Because when we talk about independence, it necessarily is viewed through the lens of a big change, right? And that can skew how we look at an issue sometimes. So instead, I'd ask, if Scotland wasn't already part of the UK, would you vote to join it? Now this question presents a slightly different perspective, something that maybe pokes a little deeper at the nature of Scotland's relationship with the UK and the state of the UK in general. So let's look at the state of the UK. Currently, through mishandling of Brexit, exports from the UK have fallen by more than £1 billion in August. The UK is facing some serious trade issues, not to mention an internationally sullied reputation for behaving like a spoilt child during the negotiations of what turned out to be a terrible deal. And Scottish industries are suffering for it, despite Scotland voting hands down against a Tory Brexit. The UK had rotting foods, In its fields, a fuel crisis and a labour crisis, not to mention a response to a global pandemic that this week was described as one of the worst public health failures in the country's history, despite having plenty of time to prepare for it. And then there's the energy crisis, all while Scotland sits on this incredible, renewable resource of power, but is stymied by limited powers needed to build key infrastructure to use it fully. 14 million households in the UK are ready to face significant rises in their energy bills as we approach winter. Amongst Scots, the vast majority believe that Boris Johnson is not doing a good job on the economy, having broken his promises around raising tax on the vulnerable, all while failed Tory election candidates like Malcolm Offord, having not been elected, are just put into the House of Lords anyway so that he can serve as a minister in Johnson's government. So I come back to that question, if we weren't already part of the union, would you vote to join it? Taking it further, would you vote to join it knowing that despite all of this, despite the fact that Scots think the Tories are doing a bad job, that we would need to suffer under their leadership regardless, and that however we vote will broadly be meaningless because of the difference in size between Scotland and England? Would you vote to live under a broken government where we would have functionally no real say in how we are governed? I don't think so. And if that's not convincing enough, then how about this? Scotland hasn't voted Tories since the 50s, yet has lived under them for more than half that time since, and now, Scottish representation in Westminster is about to fall even further. Westminster's new proposed boundary charges for constituencies will leave Scotland with less representation in the UK Parliament than we have had for over a century. Tory plans are currently aiming to reduce the number of Scottish MPs from 59 down to 57, the lowest number of Scots parliamentarians since 1918, when the right to vote was extended to include women over the age of 30 with a property quota. These changes would hit the areas of Moray, Ross, Skye and Lochaber, and northeast Fife the most. Ironically, the Moray constituency is home to the Scottish Tory leader Douglas Ross, and he is not too happy about it. But hey, it's not just us. Wales will also lose eight MPs under the current plans, while England, on the other hand, will gain ten seats. So, you want to join? Sure. It's an expensive mess, but on the upside, you'll also get no real say in how it's run. Sign and date at the bottom, please, and thank you. It's a far cry from what we were promised during 2014. More powers, more respect for the devolved administrations. Now, the Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack isn't even happy to acknowledge that Scotland is its own nation outright. In a recently published essay, he wrote that he was no fan of the Four Nations expression, for the Union gives us one great nation a statement in opposition to the assurances of the no campaign in 2014. Jack also came under fire this week by the Scottish Greens for his statement that a second referendum can't be held for 25 years and would require polling for yes to be consistently above 60% for over 12 months. Keeping in mind that the Tory Brexit that we're all having to deal with right now only got 52% of the vote in the UK, but that's seemingly enough to be counted as the will of the people in a way that it would just not be for Scottish independence. Green co-leader Lorna Slater reacted to the comments, stating, It's absolutely ridiculous. The Unionists are running scared. They know they can't win a referendum, so they're trying to stop us from having one. It's not a consistent position, and it isn't consistent with Scottish democracy. Patrick Harvey added that, It's a silly set of criteria but it does demonstrate that even they recognise that just saying no forever is not sustainable. I think they'll find that saying no in even the next few years is not sustainable. And finally this week, the Supreme Court ruling on Holyrood legislation over a week ago has no direct impact on a second referendum bill, according to constitutional expert Aileen McHarg, though it does indicate that courts are likely to take a less generous view of the Scottish Parliament's powers. This is in relation to two bills that were passed by Holyrood that were deemed to be outwith the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament and was kind of viewed as a bit of a tester case for if the Scottish Government legislates to hold a second referendum without the Tories' consent. McHarg has stated that the objections to the competence of a referendum bill are different in kind to the objections that were made to these two bills. But indirectly, I would say this suggests the court is taking a narrow view of devolved competence. But that does bring us to an end this week. So with all that said, where does that leave the State of the Union? As bleak as the approaching winter. See you all again next Friday.